All right, guys, what I want you to do is, you ha- if you have your Bibles, I'd, I'd like for you to uh, turn to John chapter 21. We're going to the Gospel of John. And I just want you to put your finger there, because we're going to look at some other passages today. Um, because I thought about, you know, it's Easter, so I want to stop my message series through uh, Colossians with you and kind of just reflect upon the impact of Easter. Because why would I want to do a message on the impact? Well, I think sometimes, I, I don't, maybe I'm reflecting on my own life for a moment. When, when you think about our lives, we, we get into ruts. We get into routines. And, and that goes, that holds true with holidays. You know, we, we, we know what we're going to do on Easter, just like we know what we're going to do on Thanksgiving or Christmas. We know what family members we're going to get with. We, we have our traditional meals. We have the Easter baskets and, and all the chocolate and the candy and, 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 and all of those things. And so we just kind of get into a routine. We know theologically in our minds, well, this is the day when Jesus rose. And yes, we believe he's alive. And, and, and all of those things become just like second nature to us. And so as I was thinking and praying about what, what message would I bring to you guys today... I thought, you know, I thought that I would look at Easter from a different perspective. I thought that I would look at Easter from how it's impacted you and continues to impact you and how it impacts me. And so I thought today what I would do for you to understand that impact is to look at Peter. You guys know Peter, right, from the Gospels. Peter, who is the disciple of Jesus, pretty much the lead disciple, kind of the de facto leader of the apostles. And uh, we know what kind of guy he is. He's kind of a brash guy, kind of says it like it is kind of guy, kind of does what he thinks he should do. And when you look at the relationship that he has with Jesus, I think it kind of reflects a little bit of where we're at. And so we're going to see several things today. We're going to look, first of all, at his calling, how Jesus called him. Then we're going to look at Peter's confidence. Because when you're with Jesus, you have a confidence, right? You can handle anything. You've got a hope. We're also going to see Peter's failure. But the wonderful thing about Peter's story is, is it doesn't end with the failure. The final aspect of his story is forgiveness. Now, I want you to think about that. I want you to maybe write that statement down. The wonderful thing about a believer is it doesn't end with us with our failure. Did you understand what I'm saying? It doesn't end with our failure. The story ends with the forgiveness. Did you understand what I'm saying? That's what the reality of Easter is. So oftentimes in church culture, we want to focus on who's the best or who's the most spiritual, and then we define ourselves because that's what our culture does. Our culture defines ourselves by our victories and our failures. And we, we oftentimes think, well, you know, I am a failure, so therefore this is who I am. And that impacts us. But that's not how God sees us. He sees us through, can I tell you what he sees us through? 
Easter. And the reality of Easter. And that's the story we see with Peter. So I think we can relate. So as we go through this story, I'm going to reflect on each one of the sections. I'm going to talk about his calling. I'm going to talk about his confidence because you and I get that way. And I'm going to talk about his failure because we definitely can relate with failure, right? But I want you to see the wonderful things about the forgiveness. So let's look at it. We're going to start, first of all, I told you to hold your finger. It's going to be up on a screen for you to read along with as well. I'm going to start with his calling. The best, uh, the best record of his calling I want you to see is found in Luke chapter 5. Let's look at verses 1 to 11. So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennares and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone with them and were washing their nets. When he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land, he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they were so they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And, also, and so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. And so when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. I just want to give you a couple of thoughts here about the calling, okay? The reality of Jesus and what it does for us. And, and notice the calling because this happened at some point, hopefully, in your life. Okay, first thing I want you to see here is this. The reality of who Jesus is exposes the reality of who we are. The reality of who Jesus is exposes the reality of who we are. When you come to Jesus, and whatever, some of you, it was when you were a child, some of you it was later, like myself, I was 19 years old when I came to Christ. The reality of coming to Jesus and recognizing who he is, that exposes the reality of who you are. For some of you, it exposed the reality that you needed Christ for forgiveness of your sins. That's what's happening with Peter. Peter's realizing there is this righteous man in my boat who just told me to cast my nets over here after I've been working all day. He just performed a miracle. I can't be in his presence. Get away from me, Jesus. I'm a sinful man. That's where... Simon's at. For some of you, you just realized how much you needed him. And you said, here, Jesus, here I am. I think we understand when you're with God, 
It exposes you. I mean, that's the testimony throughout Scripture. When you see the prophets and they come into God's presence, first thing they do, some of them drop on their faces. Isaiah, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm a sinful man. The reality is, is when you come to Christ and you understand who he is, it exposes you. We don't like that, do we? In fact, we're afraid of being exposed, isn't it? We spend a lot of time covering that up. We don't want people to know who we really are or what we're really thinking or what we're really feeling. But the reality of who Jesus is exposes the reality of who we are. And I think it's amazing. Here's my second point I want you to see here is in spite of this, Jesus calls us to follow him. He calls us to follow him. Think about it, folks. I think the scariest thing here for any of us here would be to have your stuff laid out on the open for everybody to see, right? All the hidden dark things of your life, just boom, out there in the open, all the thoughts. Aren't you glad we can't read minds? All of those things exposed, that's scary to us, right? Look at what Jesus said to him. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'll make you fishers of men. He calls us in spite of us. Think about that. He knows who you are. But he's yet he's still reaching out to you and I. Isn't that awesome? He's still reaching out to you and I. That's the calling. And when you realize that, 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 remember we just say it, I'm overwhelmed. At your mercy. This is the reality of the God who loves us. And so guess what Peter did? It tells us right in the text in Luke, he left his business behind. I mean, he's in the fishing business. He left his nets and his boats, and he said, okay, I'm following you. And he did that for three years. Three years with Jesus. And that had to have been an amazing journey, to be with Jesus through everything. And we know, just from what the Gospels record, the amazing things that Peter was witness to and seen and took part with. And when you're with Jesus, and you're walking with him, it's easy to be confident, right? And that's what we see happening. So now let's go over to John. You're holding your place in John chapter 1. I want you to go to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. We're going to look at... A couple of verses here in John 13, and then we're going to go over to John chapter 18. First of all, let's look at John chapter 13. Look with me at verse 36. So let me set the setting to you. It's on Thursday of the Holy Week, of the week in which Jesus would be betrayed. They're in the upper room. He's instituted what we call communion or the Lord's table. And he's just told them in the prior verses... I'm going to be betrayed. One of you is going to betray me. Everybody's like, is it me? Is it me? Peter's like, tell me who it is. Because there's a reason why Peter wants to know who it is. Because I'll take care of him. This is Peter's attitude. So notice with me what it says in verse 36. 
Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, that the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. That had to be a devastating, if you think for a moment, here is, here's Peter who is with him, I mean, just all the time, and I'm like, I will be with you till the end. We say that kind of stuff with our family and friends. I will be with you to the end. And Jesus says, will you? Because here's what you're going to do before this night's even over. That had to be a devastating thing. That had to be a blow to his ego, right? Now go over to 18, and you kind of see where Peter's got something to prove. Go over to chapter 18 now. Look with me at verse 10 and 11. Now we're in the garden, and Judas has approached with the temple guards. They're going to take Jesus, and look at how Peter responds. Look with me at verse 10. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink this cup which my father has given me? Why is he doing that? Why does he feel he can do that? You know why he feels he can do that? Because he's with Jesus. How do I know it's because he's with Jesus? Because as soon as they take Jesus, what does the text tell you? The disciples, what? Fled. They got out of there. In fact, it was so intense, John tells you that one of them, a young guy by the name of John Mark, when he fled, they grabbed a hold of his outer garment and he fled away naked. They're out of there. But when it seems like Jesus can handle it, I'll do anything for you, Jesus. That's confidence, right? We can relate to that. Let me give you a couple points here, okay? It's easy to believe that we can do the right thing. It's easy to believe that you and I are going to do the right thing. I've made that mistake in life. I figured now because I'm with Jesus and he's with me, he'll watch over me. And uh, I can do anything with him. I know that I will always respond in the right way. Have you ever said that? I know that I will always do the right thing. That's where Peter's at. I will be with you, Jesus. I'll lay down my life for you. Here, I'm taking my sword. I'm going to help you. We think, and we come to this conclusion in our minds, and it's because of confidence of our walk with Christ that I will never do the wrong thing. You ever said that? I will never do that. You ever told somebody that? You ever regretted saying that? I have. It's easy to believe that we'll do the right thing. In fact, the second thing I want you to see here, we see that from John 18, is our expression of that confidence can also manifest itself. We've got to prove ourselves now. That confidence that, that 
I would never do that because I have Jesus and I'm a follower of Christ and I'll never do that. We've got to prove that now. So we try to prove it with our lives. The problem is, just to be honest with you, given the right circumstances, the right situation, you really don't know what you will do. That's the reality. Let me say that again for those of you who need to write that down. Given the right circumstances, the right situation, you really don't know what you will do. And that's what we see here with Peter. And that's exactly what happened. It was only just a short time later that he's in the high priest's court with John who got him in there And his failure happens. So go with me now. I want you to go with me. We're going to look at his failure again in chapter 18. John 18. Still hold your finger in John 21. John 18. Look with me at verse 15 and 17. 15 through 17. Simon Peter followed Jesus. And so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, you are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Wow, right circumstances, right situation, right? Let's go on. Look with me a little bit further. Look at verse 25 through 27. Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. Therefore they said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I'm not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter cut off. Whoa, wait a minute. The relative of the guy Peter sliced his ear off from, okay? Listen to this. One of, one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter cut off, did I not see you in the garden? Peter then denied it again, and immediately a rooster crowed. Wow. One of the other gospels tells us that when that happened, he went out, and he wept. Two things I want you to see about the failure. And I think we can all relate to this. Because let's be honest, I do not think that we have perfect people here. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Perfect people is a fantasy. You are a human being who has been tainted by sin. And the reality of doing wrong towards God happens, right? Now, how we handle it and what we do with that is individual. But I want you to notice what it says about the failure here from Peter's life, and I think we can relate. Here's the first thing. The pressure of the moment coupled with insecurity results in failure. The pressure of the moment coupled with insecurity 
results in failure. You know what's going on here with Peter. When he was with Jesus, what's going on with Peter? I'm going to take this guy's ear off. But here he is now, Jesus is being taken, and he's in the courtroom, and what is he observing? He's observing Jesus being beaten, he's observing Jesus being mocked, and guess what he's feeling? Fear. He's feeling alone. Because for the first time in three years, It's like Jesus is not there with him to take care of him, right? And so in the pressure of the moment, he's feeling the pressure to protect himself. So what does he do? He denies that he knows Jesus. He fails. We can relate to that, right? We can relate to that. We, we've been there. We've done that. We've, we've seen that. And here's what happens. Here's the final thing. The eventual realization of our failure leads to despair. The eventual realization of our failure leads us to despair. Now, this is what I have found as I have been pastoring all of these years, as I have interacted with people. What I have found is, is that the despair over our failure is so overwhelming to us that we somehow believe that God doesn't see us the same way anymore, that somehow God doesn't... <clears throat> can't use us the same way anymore, that somehow our relationship with him has changed. Because you know what? At one time we thought we could do everything for Jesus, but now we've really messed up big time. And so many I've seen that have come, they come, they, they're, they're wanting something more from their relationship with Christ. They're wanting something more in their relationship with God. God, if you would just answer my prayers... Because I know that's why you're not answering right now. It's because of me. They're defeated. I've been there. You've been there. It's real. And it's because of our failure. And what has happened in that is that we have a tendency, you want to write this down, we have a tendency to define ourselves by our failures because that's what our culture does, right? That's sure what church culture does. Church culture will define you by your failures. Oh, there's so-and-so. Yeah, I feel bad that they did that. They were doing so good until that happened. Isn't that what we do sometimes as Christians? And somehow in the midst of that kind of culture, we begin to think and we begin to imagine, we begin to, to rationalize to ourselves, that's how God sees me. That's how God sees me. That's how I am. There's nothing I can do. You're right. Can I be honest with you? There really is nothing you can do. But then again, there was nothing you could ever do, right? 
There was nothing we could ever do about our sin, even before the calling, even before we came to Christ, even before he reached out to us, because that's what was exposed when we came to him, was the reality of who we really are. And that's why we needed him, because we realized, I can't do it. But see, this is what I want you to see about Easter. Easter is not here to expose your failure. Easter is here to deal with it. Do you understand what I'm saying? And deal with it not in a way that you think it needs to be dealt with because in our culture, we, we got to deal with failure the way failure needs to be dealt with. No, no, God has a different way of dealing with failure. So that brings us to John chapter 21. Now, let's go to John 21, where I've told you to hold your finger. And we're going to see a wonderful story. Let me give you the setting of the story. So this is after Jesus arose. This is probably a, a couple weeks later, sometime before he is, ascends to heaven. On, and Peter, of course, is racked with guilt. You ever been racked with guilt? Where it's been so real to you what you did wrong? And, and think about this. In his mind, he betrayed Jesus. In his mind, he was exposed. So at the beginning of chapter 21, it says, there, Peter's with the disciples, and he says, I'm going fishing. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? I'm going fishing. Isn't that what he just gave up three years ago? He's basically saying, I'm going back to what I did before. And the guys are like, yeah, let's go. And they go out and they fish all night. They don't catch nothing. In the morning, there's a, somebody on the seashore who's telling them to cast their nets on the other side. Kind of reminds you of Luke's gospel, right? Chapter 5. And of course they what? They catch a big load of fish again. And John is there with them and it says, it is the Lord. Now, I'm always amazed at this because they could just bring the boat on in. Guess what Peter does? He just jumps in the water, swims to Jesus because that's where his heart is. Listen, listen, this is a good point. I need to make it. The failure doesn't define your love for Jesus. Do you understand me? The regret doesn't define your love for Jesus. Because here he is, he's carrying the regret of what he did, but that doesn't change the fact that he what? He loves Jesus. So he goes out there, and of course Jesus has got breakfast ready. And they eat. And that brings us to verse 15. I want you to notice with me verse 15. Look at what Jesus says to Peter. 
So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my sheep. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said it the third time. Peter's understanding what's going on here. Because how many times did he deny Jesus? Three times. How many times is Jesus asking him now, do you love me? Three times. And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you that when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, they, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. He spoke this, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Now here, folks, is the impact of Jesus. Here is two things I want to give you today as we walk out of here and we go about our Easter celebrations as we suck down those chocolates, eat that ham, soak those potatoes in gravy. Here's what I want you to think about, okay? Two things about forgiveness. Jesus, first of all, meets us in our failure. He's meeting him in his failure. It's not a coincidence that Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? He's bringing the failure to mind and, and he's bringing Peter to a place where Peter can acknowledge, God, I need you. I need you. And the wonderful thing is, is that he meets us right there in that failure. In fact, he's the only one who can meet you there. Isn't that true? No one else can meet you in your failure. Because nobody else knows how you're feeling. Nobody else knows what you're carrying about it. Nobody else was even there when it happened. Maybe somebody was there, but they still can't resonate with you about that. But the fact is, is Jesus can. Jesus knows. In fact, one of the gospels says that when Peter denied him that third time, it records that Jesus looked up at him. Here's Jesus, I mean, going the extra mile to meet him in his failure. Folks, God will meet you in your failure. You are not repulsing him away. That's sometimes we think that. Because of what I've done, God doesn't want anything to do with me anymore. That is not our God. That is not our Jesus. 
He meets you right there. Isn't that wonderful? He meets you right there. Here's the second thing. Jesus always brings us back to the original call to follow him. Look at what he says. Peter, I know you love me. Peter, in fact, this is what's going to happen. Peter, you're going to die for me. You will die for me. Isn't that what Peter originally said? God, I will give my life for you. Peter is told, yeah, you will. Follow me. See, here's the thing. When we fail, we want to what? Give up. And folks, I have met folks through the years who because of their failure, they left. They gave up. It was too great a burden for them to carry. The, the failure was just there with them, and they somehow thought that God had changed towards them, and so they left. And I'm telling you that he meets you right where the failure is, and he forgives you, but he extends that original call to you that he has given you from the very beginning. Follow me. See, that's the impact of Easter. He forgives. And he continues to call you to something better. David, you know, I, I've, I've told you this before. The reality of these words from Psalm 37 are so real. Listen to them. Here's what, here's what David says. It's on the screen. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Listen to me. So God has set about whatever your life is. And as a follower of Jesus, he delights in your way. It's, it's kind of like, can you understand? Like, so I have four kids, okay? So I got Maddie in Canada. I got Foster and his wife down in Lauren down in Dallas. I got two boys that are living here. They bring joy to my life. Now, do they mess up? You better believe it, they do. Am I always happy with what they do? They'll tell you I'm not. But do I take delight in them? Oh, you better believe it, I do. Don't you take delight in your kids? Don't you take delight in your children? This is what the Father, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Listen, God delights in your life. So look at now at verse 24. Here's what it says. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Here, the picture of falling is stumbling into failure and sin. God does not allow us to fall to where we are utterly ruined and of no use. Why? Because God's there upholding us with his what? hand that's awesome isn't it folks that's Easter and when he picks you up like he picked Peter up he says follow me 
keep following me. So let me, let me just give you this one thought for you today. And here it is. Reaffirm your decision to follow Jesus Christ. That's what we need to do. Do we fail? Yes. Do we stumble? Yes. Do we have regrets? Yes. Are we devastated by them? Yes. But he's still there. And he's calling to you and I. And he says, follow me. The question is, is what will you do with that call? I'm hoping that even in spite of the failure, you'll just keep going on and follow him. Because that's what Easter is about. Let me pray for you.